Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. We made it to the end of the week. Now, let's take a look back at the news you need to know, but might have missed, from in and around Chicago. It's time for our weekly news recap. The head of the Chicago Teachers Union is responding to the outcry over her decision to send one of her children, her son, to a private Catholic high school. 14 employees committed PPP fraud, according to a new report by the Inspector General for Chicago Public Schools. The report alleges that the staff members received thousands of dollars by lying about their businesses outside of CPS. Controversy is swirling around Chicago City Treasurer Melissa Conyers Irving. It involves charges she's repeatedly used city employees and resources for her personal benefit. Indicted former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan is giving up his last vestige of power. This week, our panel includes Rick Pearson, chief political reporter for the Chicago Tribune, Brandon Pope, reporter and anchor at CW26 and host of WBEZ's Making Podcast. And joining us for the first time on the recap is Melody Mercado, Block Hub Chicago reporter covering the Loop, West Loop, River North and Gold Coast. Rick, let me start with you, because some people thought it would never happen, but it is official. Mike Madigan is saying goodbye to politics. And that's a career that's made him the country's longest serving state House Speaker. Fill us in. Well, he has officially announced that he's not seeking re-election as the 13th Ward Committee person for the Democratic Party. And this was actually truly his first elected position uh, back in 1969. Is it a position that has a lot of influence? Well, yes. And it, well, and it had much more influence in 69 because Madigan was very much uh, aligned with the then Mayor Richard J. Daley. And back then, being ward boss, you had all of these patronage jobs at your control. So it was a way of, of course, ensuring loyalty, ensuring vote turnout, ensuring support. And so that was Madigan's first role, was, was that is 1969. He got elected uh, also that year to be a delegate to the state constitutional convention of 1970, mm-hmm. and then uh, won his seat to the House in 1971. And that's the seat he ultimately resigned from. But through this time, he's, he was, became state Democratic Party chairman, uh, gave that up. Of course, he's facing corruption indictment and uh, has pleaded yeah. not guilty. Uh, and now it's truly the end of the end of his political the end era. of the road, end of an era. Who might be taking his place as the Thirteenth Ward Committee person? Um, well, that's going to be uh, Alderman Martin Quinn, Marty Quinn, and who they actually shared office space together. So, and, and Quinn has been a Madigan loyalist for yeah, a long time. Yeah, tell us more time. about him. Well, I mean, he, he's he's been part of the ward organization, and I mean, he is like as I said, they share offices, they share the same kind of 
constituent responsibility. Well, he knows the job. He yes. I mean, he's basically been doing the job. Yeah. So. Brandon and Melody, I mean, did you ever think that Madigan's political career would ever <laughs> voluntarily come to an end? I'm going to throw that in there. No. No. <laughs> it's, it's a wonder. It's, a, it's quite a turn of events. When I first moved here, I mean, you just knew Madigan was the kingmaker. and He's the king of democratic politics in the city and throughout the state. So it truly is an end of an era. It really is. Um, officially, that, that page is turning. Um, and now we have to see a new generation of leadership uh, take, take shape. Yeah. Are you shocked as well? I mean, I grew up hearing about Madigan. I mean, to put it in perspective, my parents were born in 1969. So throughout Mm. my entire, like my... It was a big year. Yeah, you know, 1969, my parents were born. <laughs> first position for Madigan. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, like everyone's been saying, it truly is an, an, an end of an era. 53, 53 years, 54 years. Yeah. That's He's a long 81, time. right? Well, yeah, and everybody yeah. believed, truly, until one, they'd never catch him on anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Which they did. Yeah. And that he was going to leave feet first out of the out of the House Speaker's office. Yeah, let's talk more about that, Rick. As you've touched on earlier, Madigan is facing serious charges. His trial is set to begin in April. Get us up to speed. Well, these are charges that uh, developed over the years through uh, federal investigation, through uh, t- secret tape recordings. Madigan, a personal uh, or a property tax appeals lawyer, and about leveraging clout that clout of getting businesses to use his property tax appeals business in exchange for making profits. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, in some ways, it, and we're going to talk about Ed Burke, but it, in some ways it parallels that too. Uh, but Madigan, yes, Madigan was the number one power in the state. Part of it was because of the uh, big mistake that Pat Quinn made in putting on a constitutional amendment that made single-member districts in the Illinois House. And, and it, frankly, has contributed to this crisis of division that right. we have today. I mean, back then you had 177 members. There were three-member districts, two from the majority party and one from the minority party. So it always ensured some minority party rep- representation. Plus, it was very hard to control because you had these rolling mm-hmm. caucuses going on. And that ended with the constitutional amendment that Pat Quinn still maintains was not a mistake. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned Burke, so let's go there, Rick. He's another person that we never thought his political career would end. And it also happened this week in the news. What's the latest on disgraced former alderman Ed Burke? Well, uh, what we've learned now is that one of the chief moles for the feds, uh, Danny <laughs> Solis, uh, and Solis has recorded hundreds of hours of conversations with both Madigan and both and with Burke. And uh, we've learned that the feds are not going to call Solis to testify. Yeah, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, one, I can kind of understand it from the prosecution standpoint, is that the defense will just hammer away about you're just saying and doing this to uh, to get a get-out-of-jail-free get, card. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it, so his veracity is going to be called into question at every opportunity. The weird thing is, though, that it's probably entirely likely they're still going to play tapes mm-hmm. as evidence yes. with him on them. And, and 
yeah. the jury may want, you know, why is why are we listening to his voice? Why isn't he here sitting in the in the courtroom? That would they be my the thought. man in four K, as they say. They got audio. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> so, so is this a sign then that they think that their case against Burke is is so strong or pretty strong, even without Salisa's testimony? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I I do think. I mean, again, these are investigations that went on for years, and. Uh, there's plenty of evidence <laughs> yeah. to, to, to bring the case. So prosecutors are saying they won't call him to testify, but they are, just so we're clear, they are allowed to play the undercover recordings that he made of Burke. Yes, they're already part of the evidence. Evidentiary How damaging record. Do, you, do you all think that those might be? Anytime you have taped conversations, <laughs> it's 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 pretty damning. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think that sums be, it up, be, Brandon. Beware of the microphone. Yeah, yes. I'm sure yes. President yes. Trump was learning that too. But overall, and, and I'm looking at you, Melody and Brandon. I mean, what do you think this upcoming trial might say or might show us about just about how the game of politics is played here in Chicago? I mean, I've been here two and a half years, and it's just been <laughs> wild. Oh, you've got a little crash course. You know, I got a crash course. You haven't seen the beginning of it. That's the thing. Like, Chicago politics, and Rick, the legend over here, he knows all too well because he's seen, he's seen it all. I've only been here some. <laughs> In, including Lincoln's second inaugural address. Thank you very much. This stuff is dirty. Chicago politics is legendary for just how muddy it gets. And we're seeing it kind of come to a reckoning right now. Right. Like, mm-hmm. all of these major figures who people have suspected may be doing some, some dirt, uh, dealing in dirt, now we actually <laughs> have some court cases, some, some charges and things like that. So um, And audio recordings. And audio tapes at that. The interesting thing is we've had political people come in claiming to want to clean this stuff up. Lori Lightfoot ran on that. Rod Blagojevic. Rod Blagojevic <laughs> big time wanted to run on that. Has it happened? <laughs> so and, and and what's striking too is sometimes it's just stupid yeah. and obvious and repetitive. Blatant it's stuff. It's like you've seen this show before and you what part of this didn't you learn? Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say I think part of it is you will eventually get caught. <laughs> Even if it's many, what happens many, in the dark many comes years to light later. Not always. <laughs> that, yes, Not me. always. They, I mean, they all think like they're movie villains, like they're not going to get caught, but you never know. <laughs> well, I mean, Madigan, he didn't have a cell phone. It took him a long time. He didn't have a cell phone. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah. On, for, on purpose. Yeah. You know, and so it's things like that. Mm-hmm. that and he was always recognized as playing three-dimensional chess. <laughs> well, it seems like we're going to be hearing those names and the name of Danny Solis quite a bit in the months to come. All right, let's switch gears here. City Treasurer Melissa Conyers Irvin made headlines this week. This is over allegations made in a letter that the city kept secret for years. Tell us more. Oh, my gosh. She got some questions to answer. Big questions to answer. So Tribune, shout out to Gregory Pratt for pushing on this. Uh, They published a 2020 letter um, that the Life Administration actually tried to stop its release. The attorney general. Yeah. Illegally. Illegally. Um, They fought to hide this. Greg Pratt kept pushing um, and got the Johnson administration to clear it. Um, but she's being accused of some major ethics violations here, using city resources for personal uh, things, like having employees under her plan a birthday party for her daughter. Top employees. Yikes. Yeah, top. Oh, how about this? Having an ex-Chicago cop hired as your assistant treasurer, but not having him do anything that has to do with being an assistant treasurer, just drive you around and... 
mm. be security for you. These are these are some big allegations here. Yeah. Uh, misuse of funds, stuff like that. Um, Conyers Irvin has come out and said that the city settled with the fired employees, and so she can't discuss specifics. Um, but she claims that she never has and would never misuse city funds and resources. And this is all coming up at an interesting time because she is positioned to run against Danny Davis for his congressional seat. That's right, yeah. So uh, you're, we got some big questions raised here when it comes to ethics. And we once again, we're talking Chicago politics, the mud of it all. Yeah. This is pretty muddy. I mean, is this a coincidence that this is coming out now, mm. given what you just revealed? I don't think it's... A, I, it, I don't, it's. I think the timing is because it's a new mayor. I mean, the Trib's been trying really to get this, this letter for they, years. Yeah, but, but we've Johnson, changed mayors. Right. And, the, and the thing, it was Lori Lightfoot that kept it secret as part of a rapprochement she reached with the city treasurer. And Kwame yeah. Raoul cleared it. He said, hey, this, this guy this got to come out. So, <laughs> yeah, this is, it's something. And, and, I mean, the point, too, to make here is there was a whistleblower letter from their lawyers. Mm-hmm. And the city paid out $100,000. Right. So the taxpayers are already on the hook here. So when she talks about malfeasance of public money, we've already paid in a hundred grand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also these employees say that once they raise concerns with Conyers Irvin about this, they were fired. Retaliation, right? So Mm -hmm. that's telling. Yeah. 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 There's a lot swirling here. Uh, Melissa Conyers Irving is out of town. Last time they tried to question her on it. Um, Her husband. The alderman, also not available for comment. Very convenient, even though we've been told that um, her trip out of town was previously scheduled a long time ago. Um, She has a lot of questions to answer here. That statement, not going to go far enough because these are really major concerns, especially the city treasurer. (laughs) Your big job is the money of the city. And you're having potentially, allegedly, birthday parties planned for your daughter with city employees? Well, and the, the chutzpah. Yeah. Of, of, you know, having I, I need a bodyguard because yeah, I'm city treasurer. Yeah. I mean, that was that was part of the issue with Lori Lightfoot mm-hmm. because Lori had pulled her security detail yeah. away because mm-hmm. everybody knows the city treasurer. They right. need they need security. Right. right? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A couple more quick politics stories here before we move on to schools. So some people might still have summer on the brain, Rick, but. It's officially election season right now. Yeah, Tuesday marked the first day for Republican and Democratic candidates for the March 19th, 2024 primary to start circulating their candidacy petitions to get on the ballot. So, yes, the never-ending cycle yeah. just keeps going. I mean, did we ever get out of the last election cycle? We were just I talking like about the outside. I, I, it feels like it's never-ending, right? It's like I feel like I just finished writing, like, 60,000 profiles. <laughs> right. And get ready for 60,000 more. Mayoral candidates. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, so, I mean, so what 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 races should we well, focus on here? This is uh, one of those years where we don't have uh, a local Illinois statewide race. Uh, we don't have a U.S. senator up. We do, of course, have presidential uh, coming up as statewide, but it's uh, all 17 members of Congress. You've got uh, all uh, all 118 members of the Illinois House. You've got roughly 20 of the 59 Illinois state senators. You've got state's attorneys. Mm -hmm. You've got a a bunch of uh, county offices and judges. Uh, All right, you've convinced us. But but a lot of important stuff to pay attention to this year. Well, but obviously it's going to be all overshadowed by the presidential. By the presidential race, and politics have become even local politics has has become so national 
and uh, you're going to see the nationalization of issues up and down the ballot mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. everything. And we're seeing participation in local elections continue to be just pathetic. Yeah. Uh, the, the gap between people voting. There was a report that came out in Block Club recently mm-hmm. about that. Um, you know, 64% uh, of the vote share uh, for the last Chicago municipal election was just white voters, and only about 20% was black and Latino. That is, mm-hmm. that's Don't that's even staggering. get me started on young voters. <laughs> and yeah, well, but, but we yeah. got to give young voters some credit. Millennial-wise, they did come out. They're rising. They're mm-hmm. rising. They're the second largest voting block. It's the it's the Gen Z we got to yeah. worry about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and one thing too, and mm-hmm. pointing out these numbers, don't think that even on a national level, uh, presidential candidates don't notice these right. things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I wrote a piece about Biden and the Democrats being here, like Illinois. You know, it's a blue state. Mm-hmm. Why are they spending so much time sending people here? And part of it is is because of lack of enthusiasm yeah. and trying to gin up the base. Yeah. All right, one last quick story involving politics and money. The CTA just received its largest ever federal grant, $2 billion, going to fund the red line extension. Now, quickly, I mean, taking the temperature here, how important do you think this red line extension is for the far south side? It's been something that's been talked about for such a long time. Since Lincoln's second inaugural. <laughs> <laughs> but it can't be underscored how important it is. I mean, my biggest critique when I came to Chicago was, wow, why does it stop in 95th? Mm-hmm. Why, why can't I go any farther south when I got other places south to go? There's major transportation deserts within the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And for us to be the third largest market, third largest city, and try to compare ourselves to New York, uh, we don't got the transportation infrastructure to do that. So this gets us closer to that, to the likes of D.C. and Chicago. Ouch, Brandon. And it, I'm, just, I'm just being honest. That, that's the truth. You, yeah, but after they build it, will it run on time? Well, <laughs> okay. Will they have enough service to actually yeah, exactly. operate? Yes. What do you think, Melody? I mean, could this be an economic driver for the far south side? Oh, absolutely. I, I think we've seen in extensions even, you know, I'm going to use the green line ex- as an example. They're adding a stop. And, um, I forget where exactly, but it's gonna it's gonna fill like a one mile. Are uh, you talking about Racine? Yeah, reopening so, the Racine. No, the, a new one. They're oh. they're adding a new one. It's gonna it's gonna fill in a one mile gap between a couple of uh, two stops that are oh, along wow. the Green Line. Wow. Um, and you know it's predicted that will be an economic boom for the neighborhood. People will want to live along that stop. It's gonna bring businesses. It's gonna bring people that that want to be there. Drive. You know. Yeah. The, the neighborhood, um, the same could be said for the extension of, of the red line, but also just giving people access to public transportation, acknowledging that a lot of the L lines are, I mean, obviously they're built to take people downtown mm-hmm. um, and not, yes, beyond that, but it's, it's central to the loop. Yeah. Um, but I think that this will, will help extend, obviously, and, and fill needs that that are beyond just the loop. Yeah. I just think well, about all the people that work on the far south side who have to commute downtown. This yeah. is a big help for them, really. You know, saves them gas, uh, some economic relief. It's way mm-hmm. cheaper to ride CTA than it is to drive into work all the time. And economic development is actually a factor in the funding mm-hmm. of this right. because uh, this is actually the the two billion figure from the feds. Uh, the city's actually already gotten three hundred and fifty million of it, but that's they wanted the feds to pay sixty percent. The feds said we can only pay half. So mm. that leaves a four hundred um, million dollar gap in in their funding. Plus, the local share of the project is basically supposed to come from a, a TIF area that was created in the 
to take advantage of the property tax growth around the development. Well, let's shift gears and and squeeze in a couple of school stories here. And I'm looking at you, Melody, because uh, CPS's Inspector General, that's the school watchdog, of course, issued a damning report this week. What should we know? So uh, the report shows that, first of all, over 700 CBS employees confirmed getting PPP loans. And the IG's office is currently looking into all of those, but they're starting at the top. And they've identified um, about, four t- I believe it's 14 people that are, that are identified as like top CPS officials that received PPP loans that didn't need them because the they paycheck didn't actually, yes, program. the Paycheck Protection Program, which is meant for small businesses during COVID that, you know, needed help paying their employees so that they could stay open and that they could provide their employees a check. Yeah. Um, this report found that uh, a lot of the, these 14 people had made up businesses that never existed mm. and received, you know, $15,000, $20,000, and it was forgiven um, which is just wild to me. Wow. And now 12 of the employees are gone. Eight have resigned and four yes. were fired. Yes. Makes me think I should have got a PPP loan. Everybody, <laughs> everybody been PPP loan. In. I'm, I'm, I'm still getting junk <laughs> calls. I have actually got, had yeah. that thought, too. I'm still getting the junk calls. Really? Yeah. About my business. They've reviewed my business. Oh, wow. Wow. I don't have a business. Yeah. <laughs> my goodness. All right. We got to touch on this. The president of the Chicago Teachers Union, Stacey Davis-Gates, made headlines this week. This involves her son. What's up, Brandon? A woman at the forefront of pushing for public school empowerment who's very anti-school choice doesn't even have one of her own kids attending public school. Um, There's an online news site run by a former CTU employee, likely disgruntled, who blew the whistle on this, alleging that uh, she sent her eldest child to private school. Davis Gates talked to uh, Sarah Karp of WBEZ, defended it, confirmed it, um, but she said it's because of unfair choices uh, for parents on the south and west side. Yeah. Um, locally for high school, limited course offerings, things like that. What's interesting here, though, is that's almost the same or similar argument that pro-school choice people tend to make for charter schools and private schools and things like that. So you have charter school and private school advocates coming at her for that. She's digging in her heels on that. Um She's and then been you also very, have people saying, I mean, she has every right to and that choose too, it is, where her child goes and to that's, school. Child. And that's what her answer should have been. Exactly. Except then she goes into throwing the schools on the south and west side under the bus. Mm-hmm. That where is her responsibility as a, as union leader here? Yeah. Well, does she, this, talked, she talked about, you know, uh, not wanting to use some like a magnet school or whatever. Right. And, and because the kid would her kid would spend hours on the bus. The school is nine miles away. Yeah, the private school. There are, uh, I think, Gwendolyn Brooks Academy is closer. Exactly. Um, yeah. They have big offerings. They have soccer programs. I mean, everything that she cited as a reason could be easily rebutted mm-hmm. uh, with the facts. But the bottom line one is. Where is your responsibility if these schools are so bad? Right. right. That's like what you've been pushing for is to fix these schools, right? Mm-hmm. It just feels a little little hypocritical. From Well, I think when you say private schools are, are uh, a, a basis of segregation. And when you link them to fascists. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, Rick, Chicago will likely soon be getting a new police superintendent. 
That is if city council approves Larry Snelling. So as we're waiting for that to happen, now we're hearing that the interim police superintendent, he decided to shake things up with leadership changes. Yeah, I mean, this this has happened before, but okay. it seems very strange that, you know, given the new mayor and wanting to, you know, make a big impact on what constitutes policing in the city's future, and you have Fred Waller, the interim chief, just, you know, it could be a couple of weeks maybe before the new guy takes over, mm-hmm. decides to shake up, I believe it's almost two dozen positions. 23. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, including people, elevating people with not very good records. Yeah, uh, he promoted three department members to commanders. Uh, he shipped nine existing commanders to new posts, bumped up six lieutenants to captain. Um, two commanders chosen by Waller for leadership roles have been accused of fostering a hostile work environment. And others have a lengthy complaint. Disciplinary uh, records. Yeah. Named in lawsuits. Uh, <laughs> Big yeah. settlements. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I don't quite... I mean, was anybody looking at that stuff before? Well, it, as I said, it, it's, it has happened in the past, but just given the time frame that's going on here, I don't know if it's a, perhaps a pension spike yeah. issue. Mm. So here's the thing. The Sun-Times editorial board said they were, quote, mystified by this this week's decision by Johnson to allow Waller to overhaul the department's command ranks rather than leave that important task to the next top boss. What are your thoughts, Brandon? Yeah, you would think that you would allow such big positions. You want the person coming in to make their own team in a sense, right? Now, I mean, Charlie Beck, the interim um, beforehand, uh, before we got uh, David Brown, I believe, yeah, um, he made a bunch of sweeping changes too <laughs> before David Brown came in. Um, and I think and David Brown was Mayor still Lightfoot able to... gave him free reign to gave do Gave him that. pretty free reign. And then Brown was still able to go in there and kind of make his own team. So I still think Snelling has a chance to shape this how he wants to. Um, but to have so many high-ranking people, 23 total is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of people. It is. Um, you, you, don't, you, want, you would like the opportunity to be able to decide who's promoted to these top positions yourself, especially when Brandon Johnson and Snelling have both said they are in collaboration mm-hmm. as far as the vision uh, for Mayor Johnson of this treatment, not trauma, and remaking Chicago police overall, you'd want a little more say from him. Yeah. We had some other major changes with the police this week, Brandon. What's happening with the CPD's gang database? Yeah, that gang database has been very controversial for a very long time. Um, Since Lincoln's second. <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> so the Community Commission on Public Safety and Accountability, they've officially shut it down after last night's uh, meeting they had. Um it was called a racist and discriminatory tool by Anthony Driver Jr., who's the president of the Community Commission. He also says that his own father was listed on that database um, inaccurately. And a lot of people say mm. the same thing. Now, the inspector general, they actually did a report. They called this uh, full of racial biases, discriminatory, lots of ethnic biases. Seventy percent of those listed in the database were black. Ninety five percent were black and Latinx. Only 23 white supremacists named, barely any biker gangs at all. Um, This felt very racially coded. And other big, weird mistakes. They had people in there listed 117 years old or even older. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Over 90 people listed that that big of an age. All kinds of wrong information. Yeah. Mm. You know, CPD said they'd upgrade this. um, And, of course, Brandon Johnson ran on eliminating it. Now it's no more. So anytime they want to have some sort of tracking of 
gang, potential gang members. Yeah. It has to go through a review process with this Community Commission of Police Accountability. All right, let's shift gears, Melody, to the city's migrant crisis. We still have a whole lot of people who are temporarily living in police stations across the city. I just drove past one on the north side last night and was just disheartened to see them sitting on sidewalks, basically, with Mm -hmm. air mattresses. Um, On the near west side, though, several asylum seekers, they were brought into the police station for a whole different reason. They were arrested. Mm -hmm. What happened? Yeah, we uh, found that there were several incidents of threatening an officer, battering an officer, and uh, these people that were taken into custody were identified as migrants. Um, you know, we, we know that police did take them in and that those, those charges were released. Um, I think the one thing that's missing here is we don't have, we don't know what happened from the migrants perspective. Um, I've heard that's something that's been hard to get when we, when reporters go out and try to Mm -hmm. talk to migrants. A lot of the reasons because they're afraid of retaliation and there's so many of them that they can easily disappear into the crowd and not want to be found if they don't want to speak to a reporter. Yeah. Um, and so we do know that the, that these incidents did definitely happen over at the 12th district. Um, we just we just don't know the information. There are some blanks that, that still There's need some to be blanks filled in, in there. there. Well, give us the latest then on, on how Chicago is doing when it comes to trying to house and, and help these migrant families. Yeah, I think the biggest news that's come out literally just this morning is that there's a new dashboard available online on the city's website. Really? It's, it's, I was surprised about how much information is available on there. Um, it, it shows uh, how many people uh, have been brought in. It shows uh, detailed information on all of the shelters, how many people they're housing, what they're designated for, whether it's like families or singles. Um, we can also see how many people are living in shelters versus police stations. And there's even a breakdown of um, what countries everybody is coming from. Um, and so I, I, I was just looking this morning. The most recent data is from, is from September 1st. And it shows that currently that are, there are about 8,600 migrants combined living in shelters and in police district stations. About 1,500 of those are in police district stations Mm -hmm. um, right now. And it seems like something that they're, I don't know, we don't know how often they're going to be updating it, whether it'll be daily or weekly. But, you know, a lot of people have been asking about more information as press specifically. Well, they'll need to update it pretty frequently. I mean, just yesterday, another four busloads of of people arrived. I mean, they're still arriving in the city. Planes planes. are coming from San Antonio one to two a day. Greek town residents, they shared their thoughts on a new migrant shelter in their neighborhood this week. I mean, what exactly are the city's plans and and how did the neighbors react? So um, this is something we've been hearing across all neighborhoods is that um, these temporary market shelters are coming online and the aldermen won't know until a couple days before. Residents obviously don't know until it's happening. Um, and so the the uh, temporary migrant shelter at the uh, guest house, it's a hostel located in Greek, Greek town, mm-hmm. was supposed to come online today. Um, it's been delayed a week. We don't exactly know why. But there was a community meeting on Wednesday. I will say it was the most lukewarm community meeting that <laughs> I think that we've covered really? on this. Um, yes, I, I would say that um, tensions at other meetings were very high. Um, but this meeting, I would say people were very calm. They wanted to know about like the general operations and security plans besides for one outright racist outburst that happened in the crowd. Um, oh, just one. 
just one okay. honestly i honestly i was counting I was, I was ready for the worst and mm-hmm. to be honest it was it wasn't what i was expecting it was very calm hmm. all right i got to talk about this casino folks who's excited a little yeah. bit. If they have a sports betting. <laughs> they, they do. Yeah. That was a lukewarm response. <laughs> I, I, I'm into it. I, we'll see. Well, well, the city's first ever casino could be opening as soon as tomorrow. I know you've been covering this, Melody, so I'm putting you back in the hot seat. Yes. Show us your hand. Hey. Uh, hey. I guess my thing is, what's the incentive if I can just do it on my phone? That's always been my thing. So, yeah, no. I, I mean, were you impressed with what you you saw? You went inside. Yes. What does um, it look like? They didn't let us take pictures, but I did go inside. Um, it looks like a tacky casino. <laughs> I mean, the, I, I, in, in like the best way possible, the floors are like very neon blue, red, yellow swirl oh, um, <laughs> carpet, which I think has been, which is what I've seen in Vegas. Okay. I'm like, all right, we're on theme mm-hmm. here. Um, you know, there are slots as far as the eye can see. There's about 750 slots, 55 gaming tables. There's uh, three food spots throughout. I was hoping to have news today. We know that IGB will be handing down a decision probably sometime today about okay. whether or not it will be open tomorrow or early next week. Um, no update yet, hmm. but... It's okay. it's a casino and it's there and they're ready to rock and Any roll. Any day now, huh? Listen, construction <laughs> projects, Rick and Brandon, they're notorious as we know for delays. I mean, so how temporary do you all think that this casino will be? Well, I mean, obviously the permanent site is the uh, home of uh, Tribune Publishing right now, mm-hmm. and uh, how are you feeling about that? Um, you and your colleagues? Not great. Yeah. I mean, but the Tribune secured another printing plant for yeah. its business. Uh, but the to me, the area, knowing the area, it's a horrible place to put a casino mm-hmm. because the infrastructure is so very limited to for transportation purposes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you're talking about this as a destination location, the permanent facility, uh, I just you can't expand roads over the river. Right. Chicago yeah. Avenue. I mean, I, I, I'm really curious to see how this w- works out for the permanent. And I think that might be part of the problems that are encountered. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. we know retailers are struggling on um, on Michigan Avenue. Is this possibly a chance to bring more visitors to the Mag Mile? Uh, with a temporary one, potentially. I, look, I don't know how big of a draw a small casino at River North actually can be temporarily. I Three years. But, but also, I'm not part of that community. Like, I literally <laughs> just do sports betting on my phone, and that's, you know. I'd, I'd be curious to see Medina Temple. Just yeah. to see what they've done. To see how to they've it. converted it. Yeah. 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 I'm probably going to yeah. go and just, just to see it, just to check it out. Just out to see that carpet that Melody carpet. just described. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about the carpet, guys. The decor. That swirl. <laughs> you just got to see it. All right. I want to stay downtown before we close and turn to another story. The Taste of Chicago. Hey. It's back, but it's September. I know. <laughs> right. A little chilly. Fill us in, Melody. Blame NASCAR. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I was going to say, Taste of Chicago was moved for NASCAR. Maybe good for Taste of Chicago because there was a monsoon during NASCAR. So, I guess. That's right. You know, you pick and choose. Look the flooding. At t- look at today. Looking at, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, today's kind of crappy out, but um, yeah, it's supposed to get nicer. Opening. It's supposed to get nice nicer. I so did it'll hear- be all muddy. Yeah, it'll be all muddy and all that good stuff. But I heard you had... the food's going to be good. Yeah, the food's going to be good. Um, There's about 10 new vendors. I heard you had Neil on earlier today. Um, It... They offered some incentives last year. I don't know if they're doing the same this year. They cut the prices for the vendors. It was $1,000 versus $3,000. Okay. And they included, like, 
other things like generators and um, tents and all these things because they were trying to bring the vendors back in to make sure that you they would be involved with Taste of Chicago and that they could get something out of it. I see. Um, I don't know if they did that this year, um, but they have about the same number of vendors as they did last year, about 35 food vendors, 15 food trucks, I believe, if mm-hmm. I'm counting correctly. Yeah. Um, so it, it, I'm hoping for a better weekend for them because it's all about the weather. No one's going to come mm-hmm. out and buy it food all if about it's, the weather. And they have so much kinda... planned, too. Lots of music. There's yeah. dancing. Yeah, that's the last thing. food. That's the thing people don't know. There's concerts going on. It's a whole vibe. Friday flights for the Grand beer. Park. Uh, Grant, Brandon, what's the face for? Last year, I heard it was it was just a mess trying to get in there. I heard they, the way they handled security and the lines. It was very frustrating. Um, I'm already a person that's like, just when you live in Chicago for so long, you're kind of like, uh, take to Chicago. But if they can fix the line issue, hey. <laughs> I'm yeah. not trying to wait in line for like a little, literally a taste of uh, a rattlesnake hot dog. That's right like, there in the title, Brandon. <laughs> I mean, it's not false advertising. Uh, good point. But I want to. I want to have. But it's my also fill. pricey. I know what you're saying. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Yeah, you um, want to be able to get a multiple sampling of things and not have there, to wait in long lines. There are folks who have been waiting for this, and so even yes. that push from July to September, there are people who will be there, right? Yeah, front in line. Uh, so we'll leave it there. My thanks to Melody Mercado of Block Club Chicago, Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune, and Brandon Pope of CW26. Thank you all so much for catching up with us this week. Thank thanks you. for, thanks having, for us. having us. Yeah. This episode of Reset was produced by Andrea Guthman and edited by Maha Ahmed and Brenda Ruiz. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Have a great weekend and look out for a bonus podcast tomorrow morning. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.